Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Steve Ohanian's on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, Steve? Good. Steve, how are you? I'm doing just fine. We're uh, we're going to try to record our podcast here today from a remote connection. We'll see how we do. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for being on. Thanks for being connected. Uh, looks like a twenty plus year agency you've built over there, right? Yeah, been doing this for a minute, so <laughs> just a little bit. You started when you were like fifteen. I started when I was fifteen. Yeah, that's you can see from all the white hair how young I am. So. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, hey, before we get into it, will you tell me about yourself, though, personally? Give me some, give me some history, some personal life, uh, mom, dad, where you grew up, where you're from, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so my background nationality is Armenian, not Irish. <laughs> no oh, apostrophe, but I'm Armenian. So in 1986, my parents decided to moved to the United States, you know, to give their kids, myself, better life and, you know, more opportunity. And uh, I guess I want to say a typical immigrant story, but, you know, their stories are not always typical, right? It's, it's, it's pretty different and difficult for them. But anyway, I got here when I was 12. Um, my dad used to be a pretty high position uh, prestigious, prestigious job as a like a senior VP or a manager of a oil refinery in Iran. So, mm-hmm. and so in '86, when we wanted to come from Iran to the United States, we couldn't just do that, right? So we mm-hmm. they they pretty much had to give up everything and came to the United States with a few hundred dollars in his pocket. So when we when he got here, he got his plumbing contractor's license uh, and started doing that for new construction. And that was kind of my firsthand experience with someone in my life being in entrepreneurship or being self-employed, I should say. I see. Okay. That's where the bug came from, the original bug? That was, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the nice thing was I knew it was being okay being self-employed. Like I saw him working hard and I saw this guy that barely spoke the language and but he was super dedicated, had employees and, you know, had clients that respected him. And, you know, I, for me, it meant that I didn't have to go get that job at the next big, big firm right after I graduated, right? It was okay for me to kind of venture out on my own and test the waters and see what I could do by myself. So uh, plus I've learned a few plumbing tricks from him too. I so. was just about to ask you if you turned a few wrenches and crawled underneath a few sinks here and there. I'm sure you did. I was actually, what do you say? I was actually under a sink last night trying to figure out how to connect the freaking pipe to a supply valve and get this thing working. So I'm not great at it, but the nice thing is I'll give it a shot for maybe a couple hours and then, and then I call the real experts. <laughs> uh, do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother and sister. Younger brother and sister. Okay. Are they in California as well? They're both in California. Okay, mom, dad still alive? Mom, dad still alive. Uh, 
so I'm in Northern California. They're all in Southern California. My sister has some babies that they're being grandparents to. So they're all down there. Uh, they love it. They love it. They love the kids. And how long have you been in uh, the Bay Area yourself? So we pretty much moved to the Bay Area right when we got here. So okay. I think maybe 86, we, we might have spent a couple of years in L.A. And then right after that, we came to the Bay Area. Wow. Your dad bought a place in the Bay Area in 86. It must have it must be worth 10 times that amount now. Well, he didn't he didn't buy anything, but we moved here. Uh he eventually bought stuff, but I wish he bought something in 86, 88. <laughs> uh no, didn't go that way. But yeah, we did move here pretty and it was different. I mean, San Jose, we had uh it was just kind of hard of Silicon Valley now. It was all orchards back then, you know. Mm. So it was it was a different scene than what it is today. Oh, no doubt about it, right? No doubt about it. So what yeah. kind of ki- what kind of kid were you? What kind of teenager were you? Uh, I mean, were you a good kid? Were you in trouble? Were you the rebel of the three of the three kids? Uh, you know, where were you in in the mix? I was good-ish. <laughs> you know, I sought to be the older brother and set the set the rule down once in a while, but I was pretty good. I was I enjoyed the things I was enjoying, you know. Um I was I was kind of always good in math and physics and I totally nerded out trying to figure out how things work and I would take you know I'll take remote controls apart and trying to see how they work and my toys apart and not necessarily putting that back together working condition again but you know I was like kind of trying to figure out how things work and solving problems and uh I think at the same time, I was really into the arts and creative and music as well. Like I taught myself how to play guitar and oh, cool! I was, you know, I was composed music. I, I always had a creative outlet as well. So that was me. I was both, both a nerd kind of into the technical stuff. And then okay. I love the stuff as well. So, so did you get the cool. creative, did you get the creative from your mom? And I forgot to ask, what did your mom do for a living? So my mom did accounting for a living, uh, but it was definitely my mom's side of the family. My mom's dad, so my grandfather taught music in school. Oh, so. oh, oh, I see. I see. Okay. Right, ever in a band? I'm sure you were. Yeah, so that's the story is, um, so when I graduated high school, um, I first went to, well, here's the thing. So I like both worlds, right? I like the creative side and I like the technical side, but I felt like when yeah. I graduated high school, I had to pick one or the other, right? Like you have to yeah. go into the arts and do the Bachelor of Arts things or go into like engineering, do Bachelor of Science. So I first picked to go into, uh, I chose aerospace engineering. Out of everything <laughs> picked. Uh, went uh. to USC and uh you know, in my head, I was going to, I was going to get into doing flight simulators where, you know, you can think about, you can take everything I learned from physics and all that and, and apply it to a simulation process where you can bring some visuals and creativity into it. Okay. And I got bored really quick. Like, yeah, yeah. There's way too much math and way too much physics for me. And, uh, not enough now no creative outlet so to my parents delight i dropped out of school and started a rock so uh, so yeah that's how it went uh, yeah i'm sure your dad loved that was a fun conversation right uh, oh yeah they're, they're 
super happy about it. They're like, yeah, we brought you here, gave up everything, and you know, you go be a rock star. Steve. Uh, he he worked really hard. He paid for how many semesters of the cash that he paid for there when he before he dropped out. Two semesters, two semesters. Two semesters. He's like, geez, you, you just you just blew some cash. I worked hard. I was a plumber all my life. I saved some money. You go to college. Now you're a rock. That's pretty good. Yeah, I bet yeah. that went over really well. All right. And then what? And then what? You're living in apartments with friends, playing gigs, having fun for a little while. Oh, that was awesome, man. Like just <laughs> uh, had some friends, wrote, wrote music, performed in clubs in L.A. And pretty cool. this is the best time of your life. You know, I would say like. Kind of that, I don't know, do you play music? I don't, but I, I was in, if it counts, I worked in music retail for 13 years back when you had to actually go to a store to buy music. So I was in the scene. <laughs> that, that was awesome, where you could actually yes. they have those, like, you could play, put the CD in and listen to it and do all that stuff, right? Yes, yes. yes. Uh, Hell, when I, when I first started, we still sold cassettes. Oh. <laughs> anyway, yes. Anyway, so you're. I was, I, was, I was in a. I was in a used record store and that whole cassette section. Oh. And those things are starting to gain value, believe it or not. Wow, I should have saved some. I should have saved some. You probably now knowing that you're a music guy, you probably have some LPs, right? You got albums at the house. So we have. We had one one EP that we did as a band. So oh no, well okay. I'm glad you told me that. I oh, was asking if you had a collection. Do you yeah. have a collection, like a turntable and a collection at home? I have a small collection. I mean, I eventually I was never a collector type, so I eventually okay. kind of turned into digital music. I have a ton of stuff on digital. Okay, but, okay, um, okay. Uh, uh, big music. All right. So anyway, you're playing in the band, you're chasing girls, you're partying, you're doing wild drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I got it. <laughs> um, but you know, so yeah. And then, but you know, in the back of my head, I always knew like, this can't be my full path. Especially, I mean, especially as an immigrant, first generation kid, there's, there's a little weight on you, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's true. Right. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. You gotta make something of yourself. And to be honest, I was, I actually missed some of the engineering stuff I was learning too. So, uh, it was fun, but, uh, so this was mid nineties now and the web world was really coming onto its own. Right. So, you know, browsers were becoming better and you had, you know, you had internet explorer and netscape and you know there's standards being written on how to create html and mm. there's tools to make make websites making websites easier and there's flash and flash animations and flash websites all sorts of cool things happening at that at, at that time and and i became obsessed with designing and building websites i mean that i was that just became my thing i was doing it night and day i would create them for my band for my friends bands i would i see i see uh, created for family friends businesses i work for businesses that didn't even ask for me to do anything for them i would like design their website and say here's how, you, how your website can be better here you go check it out and um, were you thinking how long did it take for you to say to yourself okay if this rock and roll thing doesn't work out i might be able to make a living making making websites or, or the whole time were you thinking this is my backup plan or no, it was kind of happening both at the same time. Like I was okay. doing the rock and roll thing and then I was kind of obsessed with this web thing. And at some point I figured out like, 
this is this is actually what I really enjoy. Like for me, okay. that web was like the perfect marriage of like both the creative outlet I was looking for and the technology and engineering outlet I was looking for. Like I could do both and put them all together uh, into something. Yeah. So I got it. So so I decided to drop out of my band, much to my bandmates' delight, and. <laughs> Uh, I went back to school to study graphic design and computer science. Uh, and then I think my senior year in school was when I started webinar show. Wow. You started your senior year. Is that because you were doing little gigs on the side anyway for cash and you, and you said, okay, well, I yeah. just need to go ahead and go ahead and file an LLC and turn this into a company or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I started with a business partner of mine and yeah, we were busy. In fact, I am uh, in 100% transparency, two or three upper G's short of my degree. But uh, we got so we got so busy that, you know, I'm like, okay, this is it. This, I already know what I want to do. I love doing what I'm doing. So I started focusing on that. Now, let me ask you, when you went back to school and you dropped out of the band, did you call your parents back and say, hey, can you can you help me? go back to school and then they paid for some more schooling and then you, they, they dished out some more cash no. and, then you, and then you never got the degree. <laughs> no, they didn't dish out cash the second time. They're like, Oh, you know okay. What? Okay. All right. You do what you gotta do. You figure it out. We learned our lesson, you know, okay. I mean, one thing I will tell them is they've been supporting of everything I do. So that's, that's great. Okay. Very good. Okay. All right, cool. So you guys are off and running with, uh, this is a friend of yours. Now, what was, did you guys co were you co-founders together? So 50, 50 split, or how did you set it up at first? Co-founders 50. Okay. Yeah. Did, was, now back and he was studying, um, math and computer science. So he was kind of the technology builder guy. And I was a creative guy initially, although I did both, you know, I had interest in both. And who was doing the sales? Who was getting the gigs? Was that you or him or both? Uh, it was me. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. for the listeners that are aspiring entrepreneurs, did you back then, did you have any idea what, what the hell an operating agreement was or any of that, you know, what, how to set up a cap table or any of the ownership stuff, any of that? <laughs> you know, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because, <laughs> you know, I co-found, I started an agency or I co-founded an agency because I love designing and building websites. It was as simple as that. I didn't start an agency or a company to scale and grow a business. I had no idea what the fuck that stuff is about. <laughs> uh, and you know, like I was joking with someone recently that nowadays, like, I feel like everyone I need is an entrepreneur, right? Like right. there's a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> right. out there. Yeah. Especially and, in the Bay area where you're and, at. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like every other person. And like back in the 90s or late 90s when I was doing this, it wasn't so cool to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, yeah, you need to find a good job, good paying job and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, being an entrepreneur was a byproduct of me doing the work, doing more of the work that I love to do and seeing that making a difference, like moving the needle for organizations. So mm. that's how I started. And at some point I had to figure out, you know, HR and creating a culture and operations and branding and marketing <laughs> and all that. So, and it was all, and, and then the other thing was, you know, digital agencies as a business was also new, right? Like that was ah. kind of starting to become a thing right. at that time. So, 
it's not like I have peers or podcasts or YouTube videos that I could look at to see like how I could start this thing. I was, it was, it was a lot of, I can't even explain to my parents what I did. Right. So, uh, (laughs) so, so for me, it was a lot of trial and error. And, you know, as a CEO now, those are the challenges that I enjoy more now, right? Like I started because I love doing the design and, you know, all that stuff, but me learning and figuring those other parts of the business is what's, you know, what gives me joy now as a CEO. Do you do any of the uh, creative stuff yourself anymore? You know, I forced myself in to some projects. I swoop in and poop on some, some of our folks. Uh, they call this poop, Steve swoop and poop, but uh, no, we have amazing designers and creative directors that manage most of that work. Now I'll, I'll give like a strategic direction on certain things, but um, okay. they do most. And the co-founder, your friend, is he still involved? Were you bought him out a long time ago, or what's the status? No, he's still around. He's still around. Uh, and what is still his around. role in the company? He's the director of technology, so he runs our entire development and technology team. Ah, I see. Well, that's, hey, for uh, the original co-founder still to be working together after 20-something years, that is a win, and that's a little rare for all the uh, people I've had on the podcast, so congratulations on that. We, Uh, uh, I mean, the story goes, if you have time, goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, We actually grew up, like, his dad and my dad grew up best friends, so I grew up with them almost like my brother, so I'm like the best man at his wedding uh he's the best man at my wedding i'm the godfather to his kid i mean that's we're like tangled like this and mm. what i would say is you know being in business with a friend or anyone having co-founders is not easy right like your 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 relationship is just bound to change like the stuff that the conversations that you have just are a lot more have a lot more weight behind them there's a lot more things like decisions have so much weight and you come from different backgrounds so it, like it's tough being and for us luckily that actually made us be stronger friends so we're okay lucky. oh that is okay very good um let me ask you the uh, ownership structure though you said you set it up 50 50 uh, have you is it still 50 50 on the, on the ownership cap table or have you taken on cash? Have you raised cash? What, you know, for the listeners, whatever you want to share, I know it's a private company, but uh, I get a lot of questions, you know, from people, oh, how do I raise cash? When should I raise cash? You know, all those questions. So I'm just curious where the company stands now and whether or not you've raised cash before. We've never raised cash. It's, it's always been bootstrapped. Uh, it's we're still, both of us are majority owners uh, we have a third partner that we brought in, uh, who's a minority, who has minority stakes into the company, but he's been a long time, like 15, 16 year uh, part of our business. Uh, but yeah, we, we nice. start this whole thing. Wow. Three people uh, that have ownership in the company and you bootstrapped it. You're obviously healthy and cash flow positive. And now what, 50, 50 employees and 20 years later, right? I don't know how many employees you got. Close, close to 90-ish employees close now. Close to 90. Okay, great. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Congra- congratulations. And no debt. You haven't had to borrow any cash. Wow. Um, no debt. Yeah. Never had to borrow cash. Never had to raise money. And 
you're, you're you're probably attracted. I'm sure you get phone calls uh, from. I'm sure you get them all the time, either from PE or VC or whatever other agencies. I mean, you're you're an attractive set of financials. I'm sure people are calling and saying, "Hey, we want to buy you. Hey, let's merge. Hey, let's let's partner." I'm sure you've had lots of those conversations. There's a lot of M and A folks reaching out to us. Like my my email is my email inbox is for them. <laughs> and what uh, are you are you are you entertaining anything? And a two part question: What is the plan? Do you just want to continue to keep it as a lifestyle business, or are you thinking about a growth and a and a transaction? No, so, to grow to grow includes um whatever that includes and we obviously want to be smart and have some kind of an exit plan or something where everything that we're doing you know who knows what will happen where this business will be like five years 10 years 15 years from now so we want to make sure that we're we're looking at different opportunities so there's always pretty much i would say every year we have open conversations we're looking at different opportunities and things like that but our number one is our number one goal right now is to just grow, you know, and okay. that's kind of, uh, and, you know, see how far we can take this thing that this baby that we've created is okay. We want to see. Yeah. Have you ever had an outside firm come in and do a valuation in the business at all? We've done that. Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. So you have taken a, taken a little look at uh, what it's worth. We've had some serious conversations. In fact, we look at our valuation every year just so we know where we are. Okay. Um, but it's more to be smart and actually going through that process was great too, because it kind of makes you look at your financials mm -hmm. in a specific way, not like internally, but you will look mm -hmm. at it externally, see what other mm -hmm. people think is important, mm -hmm. uh, from a value perspective. So going through that process the first time helped us think of our business a little bit differently. And then now we keep up on it. We want to know how we're doing and what that looks. And if, you know, who knows if the, the right opportunity comes, we want to be at least ready for conversations. If you don't mind me asking this, are you running it per se as a lifestyle business where you're, you're, you're spending, you're spending all you can spend to, to break even, so to speak, to, to do well on, on taxes, or are you trying to produce 20 something percent on the bottom line or more to attract potential suitors? Which one are you currently doing? I'm just curious. It's, I mean, we're trying to get 20% of the bottom line, but not for the suitors. I mean, just for, a, uh, oh, okay. That also includes, we also want to get balance in our life. My, my wife won't let me work this hard without us being able to enjoy some of the things that we do. <laughs> Good uh, for you. Good for you. So, you know, there's a balance there that we're trying to meet. Yeah. Tell me, tell me. So you're married, you got kids. How many kids you got? Uh, I'm married. I have a very big dog. No kids. No kids. Okay. And how long have you been married? Uh, 15 years. And 15 years. So you were into your business five years before you got married. Um, was the business, I'm guessing the business was still smaller at that point. Pretty small then. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she's like, she, when you first met her, she's like, now, what do you do? You, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, so I met her, I had actually met her my, in my second go around at college. So, um, ah, okay. so, 
So she came and worked with us for like maybe six months. And, you know, pretty quickly I found out I couldn't boss her around. So we had to find, you know, she had to go find her own source of income and uh, she's doing well. Uh, what does your wife do? Uh, she's a product designer at a large tech company. Is that large tech company a client? Of, of wherever nursing they are not they are not uh, okay yeah it's, yeah yeah could get sticky <laughs> by the way how'd you it come is, up with, how, 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 yeah go ahead <laughs> no that's yeah it, it could be sticky uh, yeah. yeah uh how'd you come up with the name web inertia and was that it uh in the beginning it was in the beginning and all right so another funny story so my uh my business partner and I were sharing a physics class together because we were both in school, right? So we're learning about inertia and the property that keeps objects in motion. And we thought, all right, let's, we like doing websites. So let's stick the word web in front of inertia and not completely ignoring the fact that inertia is also the property that resists change, you know? So, uh, and then we, in the nineties, the, e-business was a big thing and it was coined by IBM, I think, for doing business um, through the web. And so okay. we we misspelled the I with an E. So basically a series of terrible naming decisions and we had an agency. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. By the way, for the listeners, it's webinertia.com and inertia spelled with an E, webinertia.com. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, before I get into web inertia and have you do an overview, I'm just, I, I want to know now these, these tattoos that I see, the, this sleeve you got on your arm, is that all from the rock and roll days or was that later in life? Um, later in life. Yeah. Was it uh, anything you want to show the audience? Anything you want to share? I don't know if I could share it. Well, this one is an Armenian coat of arms. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like it. This is like some kind of a guitar thing happening here. And, <laughs> <laughs> some random uh, stuff uh when you ever when you go to the bar do you ever just you know get up on stage or do you ever like hey man I'll, I'll i'll jam with you for a couple of songs you ever do any uh, of that i wish i wish it's it's no. been a while since i played seriously so oh. uh, uh but okay. in my younger days i definitely would like when we we're playing when we we're playing shows back in the day and i would I wouldn't mind asking going up on stage. That would be fun. Well, you the you look like you still play. I mean, you got the look. You you wearing the black. You got the tattoos. You got the rings. You you got you got the look like you would get up on stage if you had a chance. <laughs> it's only the look that's left, Steve. Everything else <laughs> gone. Uh, all right, man. Um, let's get into web inertia then. As far as an overview, if you don't mind giving us an overview of the company today and its and its services and kind of who you are um go for it give us the give us the elevator pitch yeah so we're a digital agency that specializes in designing and developing digital brand experiences and websites primarily for b2b and b2b technology organizations that's that's our niche. That's our sweet spot. We understand like the nuances between B2B and B2C. I mean, these B2B organizations are selling uh, solutions that are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars in solutions, right? So these sell cycles are really long, really long. There's multiple decision makers that go into making a purchasing decision. So 
that's where we come in as we understand those personas involved. We understand their user journeys through a website, the best practices for conversion and lead generation and tearing them and telling the narrative and really connecting with people's uh, pain points and how do you, our specific solution can solve it for them. So that's, that's kind of what we do is so we usually work with mid to large enterprise organizations. Now is mid to large because, because small to medium can't afford you guys or, or what, what's the reason for the mid to large focus? Um, it's more of a process than a dollar value thing. I mean, just the okay. amount of strategy. Well, I guess it does come down to dollars, but, uh, the way we've set up our processes really fits better for, uh, mids to large than SMBs. Right. So, um, so it's just a more of a fit for us as an organization for okay. those types of works. Okay. And are you are you helping take them to the next level? Are you are you better at a, a full rebrand? What is the what's the main specialty? I mean, if I'm if I'm already a, a mid-sized company, you know, if I'm doing, I don't know, five hundred million or close to a billion dollars, why am I calling web inertia? So usually we're redesigning a site because of some kind of a big marketing shift. So whether that organization is changing the direction that they're, they want to go from like a messaging or branding perspective, or if they need to catch up with their competition, they're falling behind, or mm-hmm. uh, there's a new product offering that they want to... So, it usually the website redesign goes hand in hand with some kind of a brand refresh as well. So we are involved. Um, I would say maybe 60 to 70% of our work is the web itself, but the other 30% is doing some brand strategy work. So thinking about their messaging strategy and positioning and visual identity and all that. So they will come to us to kind of help put all that together with the website being really your most important brand touch point right nowadays for especially for a b2b organization so mm. um and that's what that's where our specialty is we we uh we start creating those experiences for them and and then do those customers hang on and hire you for marketing services whether it's social media or seo or sem or whatever do you do you keep them afterwards yeah we have a full marketing uh arm that we can help them with these organizations we have like a 90 percent retention rate with our clients so uh, so yeah it's it's really important for us to have that ongoing engagement whether it's seo or whether it's actually improving what we've already created right get some additional data and do some user testing a b testing and continuously improve this this uh this product that we've created for them as their now, when, when it comes to dealing with a CEO that maybe was also an original founder or a CEO that's been there for a long time and has scaled the business and somebody needs to talk them into a different look, a different feel, especially from a branding strategy perspective, and they get offended or they don't want to hear it or their feelings are hurt or they think they know best and all the rest of the shit that you have to deal with with these egos. Is that still you going in to have those conversations or somebody else is doing that now? <laughs> um, 
at the end of the day, they'll call it a C. This guy's not listening, so I'll have to <laughs> step in there. But you know, um, we're a really data driven organization. Uh, we're like, so there's some there's some agencies that mm-hmm. are some organizations that are very like uh, experimental. Maybe would be the right word. Say, hey, let's try this. Like, it's like it's the super super coolest architect coming to you and saying, hey. I'm going to build you this amazing house and I want the tour, I want the door on the roof, right? Yeah. We're not that. Like we look at data, we look at like what are the best practices, what's going to get you the most uh the most engagement, uh most uh qualified leads, all that stuff and make those recommendations. So a lot of our, you know, C-level folks actually listen because we bring data behind the recommendations that we make. And again, it's our niche, so having our niche be small allows us to study it, research on it, have find data behind it. So, um, yeah, okay. We, we, I mean, those conversations do come up in business. I but trust me, I know. And then, how about your angle with podcasts and your own approach to now kind of putting yourself out there on social media after twenty something years? You're stepping out there a little bit. Because I'm looking, you know, I look, obviously I studied you, you ahead of time. You know, you weren't, you weren't massive. You're not like you're massive on LinkedIn or anything. It's not like you got a hundred thousand followers there. So you weren't what I would call a huge social media guy because you were busy the last 20 years building your agency. Right. But now you've, uh, you've started to step out there more frequently as of late. What is the reason? What's the strategy for that? You're hurting my feelings about my followers, man. I'm sorry. It's only 572. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think even with our, we've actually put in a focus on thought leadership and just dumping 22 years of knowledge that I have onto paper and podcasts. And, and I'm, I'm actually enjoying some of that. And, um, and maybe set myself up, you know, see what I can do more, uh, in the future um but yeah a lot of it it's actually been nice just documenting or talking out loud about some of the work that i've done and uh and helping it for whoever that's might help even even our own team right just Mm -hmm. look at some i mean it's amazing like you know once you get to a certain size and you don't know everyone like like when you're right. 20 people right so it's right. kind of yeah. nice for them to get in there and you know hear your story and where you came from and all of that so i couldn't agree more especially since you've had a business for 20 something years that you bootstrapped that is that is increased in revenue it's profitable you haven't had to give up a bunch of ownership and you never had to take on a bunch of cash and you're still working with your original co-founder i mean I'm just telling you right now, bro, I don't interview a lot of people like that. <laughs> so yeah, it is, uh, it is a very good story that you, you should share and you should talk about all the successes that you've had and how you've done that, what you've overcome to keep it going. Uh, because it is, uh, there's just not a lot of people walking around on planet earth that can, that can say that. I mean, is it a small, you're in a small, you're in a small group, you're in a small group. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it... You make it sound a lot rosier than it actually was, right? But, um, but yeah, I mean, those are things I'm literally very proud of, right? Like just yeah. being able to be stick around. I mean, one of our biggest wins was uh, being in the Inc. 5000 list for the first time last cool. year, and cool. and 
you know, as a small company, it's kind of easy to, or for me, in my head, it's easier to get on that list because, you know, you can win a couple of big clients and you've, you know, doubled your revenue and you've done all sorts of things. To do that 22 years after being in business, I feel like says something a little bit about what we might be doing right. So, so yeah, we are proud of where we are. Very good. I got a few few questions here as we wrap up. How long was it, if you can remember, because you've been doing it for a while, but how long was it before you were big enough and making enough money to where you could fire a client or tell somebody, no, I don't want to do services for you? How long did that take? Um, I wish I learned that faster than I did, <laughs> is my answer. I don't know exactly when, but... And once, once you do that, you literally figure out that saying no to the wrong opportunity is actually saying yes to the right opportunity. Like I, mm. I definitely learned that. I don't know when I learned it, but I wish I learned it faster than I did. And I bring that question up because it is, especially for a service business, for anybody out there, aspiring entrepreneurs that want to start a service business. I know when you first started scared and shit and you're trying to, you know, you're starving and cash flow and you're wondering how you're going to pay the rent and holy cow and you know, all the rest of it. But if you work for assholes, you, you're just going to be miserable. You're going to end up doing shitty work anyway, because you're not going to want to do the work. It's just not a good idea. Yeah, don't work, don't work for assholes. Don't do jobs that you don't want to do, even if the people are nice, you know, like really figure out like when we figured out what our niche was, like mm. our revenue jumped out. I mean, that, that makes it makes your it makes your organization focus it makes you focused right like do the stuff that you've said to yourself that this is who what, what i want to work on and who i want to yes. work with yes you'll be so much happier and you'll enjoy it so much more how about this one advice for i mean i don't know in two or three ways how do you survive a co-founder relationship for 20 years what's the magic potion that you're using to to because i'm sure there's been disagreements i'm sure there's been you know some arguments here and there what's the magic how do you do it i think the big i mean the biggest thing with any relationship is trust and respect right so if you can still respect the person that's sitting across from you and you're trusting them even though like trusting everyone that has that they all have the best interest of the family unit or the organization or the company in mind i feel like making sure you're when you're arguing getting into those heated conversations you kind of bring yourself back to where you are those are what are some of those baselines uh you can get through a lot of those things so um yeah i think and inevitably those heated conversations happen right and and your relationship does change i mean me and my best friend are not the same two people that we were when we first started um but in a lot of ways we're better people because of it right and it's going through that process and learning to uh trust and making some really really difficult decisions together that we didn't agree on um really actually helps you grow mm. Very good. Um, on a serious note here, any effect uh, with this whole thing over in Russia and, you know, any of that stuff with, with, old, with family members? I mean, I know it's not, you're not like right next to the border, but you're, you're in the re you're in the region. Any, anything? So, yeah. We actually had a team there uh, mm. in Ukraine, um, which, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much all of them have to leave their cities where they were at and, um, 
we had to stop production or whatever with with that group over there but uh so yeah our hearts and our thoughts are always with them we actually helped pay for we paid them a few months in advance so they could figure out their life um until they get settled down again so we can start working with them again but it yeah it was actually it was close to home for us Mm. friend last question um what is Steve's core purpose in life now, moving forward, you've been very successful, you, you grew a business, you know, I don't know if you could retire right now if you wanted to, but you're probably getting closer, maybe you sold the maybe if you sold the business, you just chill, become a consultant, whatever. What is your go forward core purpose? Why are you walking around on planet Earth, uh, moving forward here? You know, I don't have some super grand, grandiose purpose. Like I think the the thing that keeps me up at night and 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 I'm assuming we're talking about like non-family, right? So yeah, yep. Um keeps me up at night and what I'd really strive to do is create an organization that people are proud to be associated with. Like that's mm. that's and wherever, like, and whether that's employees or our customers, like, I know, I literally know these people are putting their careers and their, and their, their careers in my hands, right? Like my employees, even the folks that are choosing to hire me. And I take that responsibility very seriously. And I want to create a place that people are proud to be a part of. So with whatever I do, so whether they're part of working within that organization. So right now that's what i would say is my answer steve thank you very much for being on the rider flex podcast and sharing your story i really appreciate it sir all right hey thanks steve thanks for having me